I mean, uh, I guess it depends on what you're looking for out of a kiss. <laughs> I think some women would probably say, yes, I think that my partner's tongue should be restrained to some degree for optimal kissing. <laughs> if anything, an additional tie to the tongue should be added. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we are back for another episode of Medical Dads. How are you doing over there? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Ready for a fresh cut. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Now, before we start getting the scissors out and snipping away at things, I have a story for you. I think you'll find this one amusing. All right, let's so, hear it. So, again, of course, it has to do with dad taking kids to these extracurricular activities, right? And <laughs> For people who may not know me that well, I'm a huge basketball fan. I've been, basketball is like my thing. I've been a basketball fan since I was in the seventh grade. That's when this started, right? And if you don't know that Dave is a basketball fan, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Glad to have first-time listeners on board. Now, the thing is that my son has gotten into basketball, and he's seven this year, right? So... I had already signed him up for hockey for the winter because last year his thing was hockey. But this summer, he's like, I want to do basketball. I want to do basketball. I'm like, now you tell me. I already paid the, the fee for the hockey team, and now you tell me you want to do basketball. But as a dad, I feel obligated to give my son the opportunities that were withheld from me when I was growing up. So when my children ask me to really do like a sport or some extracurricular activity, I really resist my Chinese-Canadian urge to just kibosh it for the sake of saving money. <laughs> After all, I am a physician, so you can't really use that excuse all the time. And, and I really want my kids to have these opportunities. So I'm like, okay, sure. Dad's going to find you a basketball thing to join, yeah. which I did. So we're a member of this like basketball club, and they have a thing for like seven and eight-year-olds on Sunday afternoon. Only thing is, it comes up on Sunday afternoon, but Sunday morning, he has hockey, right? So oh. now we're starting to do two sports in one day. Right. Like okay. this is like from cold to hot. Is that OK? <laughs> yeah. It's like Deion Sanders primetime territory. Like we're we're playing hockey at 8 a.m. in the morning and then we recuperate a bit. We go to church. We rest. We have lunch. And, and, and actually we eat lunch pretty quick because by yeah. 130 we got to be out the door getting the basketball court. So this week we get to the basketball court and he's starting to warm up and I noticed that he's missing all his practice shots, which is not a big deal, right? Like, I mean, we've, all of us have played basketball before. You can't expect all your shots to go in. He starts to get a bit furious. And then I, I, and I know what the problem is, right? Cause his legs are probably tired from all that skating. He's not getting enough lift. So his jump shots a little flat. It's not a big deal. Right. And yeah. then the game happens. He misses a few shots. And if you, if you need to know anything about, my son, I guess you should know something about me, is that both him and I take this stuff really way too seriously. <laughs> right, so we, we finish basketball, I get him in the car, and he's like in a really foul mood, right? Yeah. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, 
I hate basketball. I quit. I'm never playing again. Oh. Right? I'm like, why? He's like, I missed every shot, and it's your fault. Oh, I'm like, your fault for the bad <laughs> genes? Like, I'm like, my fault? What does that have to do with me? And I'm like trying to explain. I'm like, look, you probably missed your shot because your legs are tired because of hockey. He's like, no, my legs feel fine. It's your fault. And I'm like, why is it my fault? You said that I don't need to practice shooting and just dribble, dribble, dribble. And now I can <laughs> dribble, but I can't shoot at all. Right? I'm like, I'm trying to explain to him that dribbling is an important part of the game. You need to work on your weaknesses, right? To make yeah. them into strengths. And I'm trying to explain that even Michael Jordan missed shots. He's like, Michael Jordan never missed every shot. Only bad players miss every shot. Good players never miss every shot. I'm like, there's really no arguing with this, not this <laughs> logic, really. <laughs> right? I can think of several counter arguments here. But <laughs> Yeah, but they're, they're they're refuted. Like we're we're going in a nonsensical circle, right? And meanwhile, meanwhile, medical dad at the in the front seat of the van is resisting the urge to burst out laughing, right? <laughs> but I did have to say that at the end, I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? This is actually a really good life lesson for him, right? Things don't always go your way. Your shots don't always go in, and we'll see. You either bounce back from this or you call it a day, right? That's life, right? And I I think actually this is what sports is all about, right? And I and I liked actually this idea of him putting the blame on me that's actually a i think you, you like and i that? have talked about well it's better than putting the blame on yourself right so one way kids could go is just oh. like i suck at basketball i miss all my shots i'm just not good right yeah. that's actually a worse hole to try to dig out of if you're a sports psychologist right like the right. self-defeatist like you know ego problem in, yeah. in this case his his ego is clearly massive and he needs to dump all the responsibility on me so I guess as dad, it's just another one of these things I got to take for the sake of the team. <laughs> it's funny because we want people, uh, we want children to become uh, self-directed learners. We want them to be, uh, to have a growth mindset, right? Mm-hmm. But studies have shown that some people just by their very nature tend to, when things go wrong, blame it on external factors. Whereas other mm-hmm. people are much more prone to blaming things on themselves and saying, oh, it's right. my fault. I'm not good. And actually, the people who tend to externalize the cause of their problems actually tend to do better in life by most yeah. markers of success in work and business. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe not in relationships, but. <laughs> there, is a, there is a term for this. It's called, um, what is the term called? It's like, it's called irrational confidence, right? You have confidence in yourself at the expense of all logic and reason. Right. But actually, the people who defy the odds in the world and become successful in these things that you talked about tend to be these people, because if you really hear the voice of your parent, which is telling you, oh, you know, maybe you're just not that good. You're Chinese. You're not supposed to be good at basketball. You're sure. Just focus on your academics. If you listen to that voice. Yeah. You're not going to go very far in whatever it is you're trying to do. Now, I don't know exactly what you call this particular entity that we're describing, wherein one says, I am not succeeding because I am not good. So there is a problem with me. But the reason there's a problem with me is my parents. My parents <laughs> made me not good. <laughs> well, as married men, we all know it's all about where you lay the blame. That is the <laughs> fundamental aspect of life. It's funny because when I was thinking of topics that we might talk about today, uh, I had thought about failure as a topic. I was like, well, maybe we could do a talk about kids and failure, kids and failing. Uh, but the, what brought it to my mind was a totally different type of story. It was coming up from a different approach. Today, listeners may not realize it listening, but both Dave and I are kind of busy today. Dave is actually recording from his place of business because he didn't have time to leave and come home. And right. I'm getting on a flight in like an hour or so 
to, to fly somewhere. So in getting ready for my flight, of course, I have to have my clothes ready for this uh, three days or so that I'm going to be at this conference in Halifax. This morning, my son uh, is wearing shorts and it's a cold day. So I'm saying, okay, you got to put on pants. It's a cold day today. Ah, dad, it's going to warm up later in the day. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's today. It, we're going into fall now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you can't I've been having that conversation for the last two weeks with my daughter at home. Every morning. <laughs> what? I need a jacket? Now she's telling me she has another jacket at school that she claims she's going to wear when oh. she gets there. <laughs> don't worry. I don't need a jacket to get me to school. I have one waiting for me when I get there. Interesting. <laughs> well, so my son, I actually managed to convince him to put on some pants. I come back later and I'm, you know, I'm running around doing my own things while they're supposed to be getting ready for school. And I notice, okay, he's wearing pants. Then when I'm saying goodbye to them right before they leave, I see that... Uh, that he's wearing different pants than he had on before. And I'm like, <laughs> just out of curiosity, I was saying, son, are those different pants? Did you change the different pants? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my other pants got, got wet when I was t- uh, taking my laundry out of the washing machine. I'm like, your pants got wet taking laundry out of the laundry <laughs> machine. What, what was going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when, I, when I went to take my clothes out of laundry, it was completely soaked. There, there, it was full of water. And I'm saying... Like putting in two and two together, right? Detective, <laughs> detective dad is saying, son, is it possible that you overloaded the washing machine by putting in way too many clothes? The machine went off balance and then your clothes didn't finish the wash because if the washing machine's overloading goes off balance, it will just stop <laughs> and then you'll just have water pooling in it. He's saying, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe that did happen. <laughs> like, okay, so what did you end up doing? Well, I put all clothes in the dryer. It's like... <laughs> You put all the clothes in the dryer that are soaking wet. And like, yeah, yeah, but I, I, it doesn't sound like the dryer's having a problem. So off he goes to school. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. Um, now kids are at school and I'm doing all my last minute packing, stuff like that, and go to get the clothes that I left in the dryer so that I'd have stuff ready for me when I was going to leave. Only to find, of course, for his stuff to be in the dryer, all my stuff had to be removed. And uh, whereas one might hope that all those things would be removed and put into a laundry basket, the reality is that my pile of laundry is just put on the floor in front of the, the dryer. Like, all right, well, fair enough. <laughs> that happens. Um, now, all I have to say to this story is I'm going to give you a round of applause because Dr. Harmon's son is actually doing the laundry. That is way more than my kids have ever attempted to do in ours. I don't care if it's wet. I don't care if you're going to go to this conference wearing like soaking wet clothes. All right, man. Your kids are helping with the laundry. That deserves a medical dad salute. Well, that's actually where I started to have this thought in my mind about, you know, one approach with kids is to not let them have these opportunities to fail because you either do their laundry for them or every time they do their laundry, you're always there on their shoulder to make sure they do every step right. Um, Or this happens and your child has a chance to fail and maybe learn from their failure or maybe learn nothing and go off to school. Well, you find that not only are your clothes on the floor, but someone has dripped a ton of water all over the clothes you have on the floor. And now you've got only a few hours to get those things dry and ready to go before you go on a trip. Well, there you go. That's the life of the parent. Something can always happen. But yeah, it really, we should put a pin in this idea and come back and talk another episode about you know, failure, giving your kids chances to fail and all how right. they manage and how they cope with failure, all that stuff. Uh, all right. We will snip this in the bud and move on to our topic of the day, which all right. we have not revealed, but we will reveal it now. Today, we are talking about scissors. All right. 
So wait and a minute. When people go to click on this podcast, the title won't tell them that we're talking about scissors. <laughs> it'll it'll be called Running with Scissors. All right. And there's three specific scissor related medical dad topics that I want to touch on. Right. Okay. So right. people From will be 11 ridiculous... minutes into the podcast and they'll be like, oh, <laughs> that's why it started with ready for a fresh cut. All right. Still weak. All right. But anyway, at least I understand. Fresh you know? cut. All right. There you go. Fresh cut. Number one, we're going to talk about haircuts. All right. Yes. And and getting our kids hair cut because that's actually a parenting thing. And then we're going to transition into tongue tie. Do we when do we need to get our kids tongues cut? Right. And then finally, yeah. we'll move south of the border to the vaunted circumcision discussion about when you need your penis cut off. All right. So <laughs> let us begin up top with so, the hair. One out of these three things don't have to be cut off. Which one is it? <laughs> Well, we won't tell you till you the have, end. If you saw my son over the last six months, his hair was getting super long, and we were really like, "When should we give him a haircut? When should we give him a haircut?" And my wife had this thing going where he, he kind of liked that he had this full head of like boy hair kind of thing, yeah. but it was getting really long. Like his sideburns were like making Abraham Lincoln feel like inadequate <laughs> in comparison. But yeah, so first things first, haircuts for kids. Are you big on bringing your kids to a professional to do their hair, or do you actually cut it at home, Chinese immigrant style? Uh, uh, I got to say, we don't do the haircuts at home, but it's not because I, uh, as the independent decision maker for the Harmon family, have decided <laughs> that my preference is to pay money to have it done somewhere else. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to let other people who are in the know when it comes to things like style, fashion, beauty, make the decision rather than letting that decision get made by dad. I mean, a child's haircut's not that, that complicated. And I'm sure that during COVID pandemic like restrictions, my wife did do a couple of these haircuts herself. Mm -hmm. uh, so it can be done. But uh, no, we, we bring them to the barber. Yeah. <laughs> now, I actually have a story about this. Because growing up, my parents would never take me to a barber, right? Yeah. And so every, you know, I don't know, every six weeks or whatever, two months, they would bring out the chair, right? They'd take one of the chairs from the dinner table, sit it in the middle of the kitchen on the linoleum, yeah. and then actually they would unfold these old, they it wouldn't even be like newspapers. They would unfold these these bags of rice. You know when you buy a bag of rice from the Chinese grocery store? It comes in this like heavy-duty paper bags, right? Yeah. They would they would cut open the paper bags and it'd be like five layers of, of paper there and then unfold it all and turn it into this mat that you would then sit your chair on. I, I don't even know why they had this big procedure for this. And then my dad would proceed to start giving me a haircut, right? Which would yeah. have been all fine and dandy, except he clearly had no skill when it came to giving haircuts. And I know this because he cut my ear, right? He was snip, ah. snip, snip, and then boom, cut the bottom of my earlobe, right? Oh. That happened one time when I was a kid. It just made a cut. It didn't. It didn't cut it off, right? It just right. made like an incision, right? <laughs> then we fast forward, and and I don't know. I guess clearly I had no in the house, and no no power, no authority, because five years later he's still cutting my hair, or was it ten years later? And I remember him cutting my hair, cut 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 down on the bottom behind my neck, and then suddenly he goes, oh, yeah. and I'm like, what happened? He somehow had wandered off 
offline of what he was trying to cut and ended up snipping the collar of the bib that that I was wearing. <laughs> you know that white bib that barbers put on you? So this dude yeah. is 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 hacking and slashing at the bib and the ear, right? You can imagine how terrible my hair looked as a kid just based on that. Well, I need to- Anyway, people would have been staring at your hair and then not focusing on the scars that you had all over your neck, ears, <laughs> so, and face. So, so I have this thing where it's like for haircuts, I have, I make no fuss, right? If people want to go to a nice hair salon, they want to get like a fancy haircut for a kid that costs 60 bucks. It'll be gone in a week. Like it's not going to look any different. It doesn't matter. Anything is better than subjugating yourself to being at home dealing with this. Uh, not to mention the cleanup involved when you cut your, the hair at home. Oh. When I was a kid... I, I also I, I went to the barber a couple of times as a kid. I do have like some distinct memories of going for a haircut at the barber, uh, especially when I was really young. I think when I was really young, that's my my parents were like, "Oh, let's do this," so that he gets used to the idea or something. But then I also remember I must have been like six, maybe five. One of my mom's friends was a hairdresser, or maybe in training to be a hairdresser. So she came over to cut our hair slash practice on our hair. And what I remember distinctly was that she was using these scissors where the hinge of the scissors was not very tight. And so as she was cutting, my hair was getting cut, caught in the, in the hinge. And then every time she'd lift the scissors, she was pulling out hair. And I'm what, like making a fuss and kicking up a thing. And I'm just being told like, you know, sit down, stop it. It's almost over. Um, and at the end, when I was explaining what I was freaking out, uh, then they look at the scissors and realizing like, oh, yeah, there's all this hair wound up in the in the hinge of the, of the scissors. And uh, yeah, that that stuck with me to the point where as an adult, I went once for a haircut. And on one of the snips that happened, that my hair got caught in the hinge of the scissors. And uh, yeah, I just like was transported back to being a five year old. Almost punched the guy in the face. <laughs> you tell this as if it's like a like a lifelong memory that this happened to you this one time. My dad was doing that to me every time I got a haircut. Every two <laughs> months, there'd be these hairs getting pulled out of my head. It was a, it was terrible. Yeah, you know, I think actually I complained about it so much after it happened that I never that it my mother never had that person to cut my hair again. Mm. Uh, but then after that, I got a lot of haircuts from my parents. Like, so for, how about how about uh, now? Let's look at it from the dad angle today. How do you get your yeah. own haircut now? Do you take some time on your own to go to, you know, like a like a traditional barber shop and get it done nicely, or what? What's the deal? I do. I, I go to a barber shop, like preferably one that has a white pole with a blue and red stripe on it that spins when I get my haircut. <laughs> interesting, interesting. The thing with me though is I don't get my haircut that often. Mm. I let it go extremely long, uh, and. For people who haven't seen me, my hair doesn't grow down. It just grows out in expanding diameter. But uh, I just, I get, yeah, sometimes I'll go a year without getting a haircut. Uh, certainly during COVID, I, I did. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll get a haircut sometimes every six months. Interesting. Not bad. Not bad. I, I'm in the stage of life where everything is happening counterintuitively. When, you, when your hair is thinning out, believe it or not, it actually looks better if you get haircuts more regularly. <laughs> Because yes, because when you're thinning out your hair, as if it's something you have a choice in, okay, when your hair's thinning out on you, right, and you let it grow longer, that's when it accentuates the difference between the areas that are growing and the areas that ain't growing, right, and you don't want that difference to get highlighted. Well, see, with my type of hair, right, I have I have curly hair for people who haven't seen my hair. Uh, if it grows big enough, uh, then you can have pockets. 
uh, where it's not that obvious, it's not as obvious, right? Like certainly at a certain point it's obvious, but then as it gets longer and longer and longer, and, and it just poofs out more and more, right? Mm. That you get this cloud coverage that can uh, like potentially trick people who aren't looking too close. But then every time you go and get a haircut, especially if you're waiting a long time between haircuts, there's always this nerve wracking thing of like, oh, okay, they're cutting us off. What's going to be underneath there? <laughs> you know? What am I going to find this time? I've actually been in in the in the clinic setting and had patients come and tell me that their barber noticed something. That's the, it's not an infrequent thing. Every year there's a few patients that are like, oh, my barber noticed that there's this thing on the back of my head or there's this weird lesion they wouldn't have known about. So actually barbers are an integral part of the healthcare system, believe it or not. Oh, interesting. I mean, I was only thinking about it in terms of the surprise of how many bald spots there are under there. But yeah, I suppose the barber could find something for me. Maybe that speaks towards the necessity of having your barber cut your chest hair, your back hair, and uh, maybe even the genital region, because how else are you going to find that testicular tumor? One thing I never really understood, because when I growing up, at some point I transitioned away from the home haircut. At some point I was like, we need to actually... You know, think about things like, you know, finding a girlfriend, getting married. You know, right. we need we actually go to actual get an actual haircut. So when I went away to university, you know, I started going to a local barbershop in Ithaca. And the, I guess this is like a white person thing because I had never had this done at any Chinese barber up to that point, which is that when they're done yeah. with your haircut, they then take like this blade and then really shave it fine going down the top of your neck. Right. They they dip it yes. in this container of antiseptic thing but it's like a clean blade that they use for every single client that comes through for the day the whole thing's a little sketchy and then they and then they like really shave down that back which feels good right you come out of the barbershop feeling like you were just at a spa you feel refreshed and clean but you might have hepatitis at that point (laughs) that's right but what I found was that when that part grew back, now that it's been shaved down, you know that old legend that if you shaved your eyebrows, it'll come grow back weird? Like that started happening on the back of my head. And my mom was like, what's going on? Why are you getting fuzz there? I'm like, I don't know. That's how they cut hair for white people. Is that a thing? Like what, what is the deal with that particular maneuver at the barbershop? Uh, I mean, it is sort of true that hair does grow below the hairline. It can start to look messy, especially as you start to get older, right? Kids don't have that, but as you get older, it's, yeah. it's there more and more. I don't really know if it's true that shaving it makes it like grow thicker and thicker, uh, but like anything, once you shave it the first time, it's going to come back thicker than it was there before. But if you could simply get yourself thick hair by shaving it, then people would just shave all the hair around their bald spots until they grow back well. <laughs> Same thing about plucking gray hairs, you know? If plucking one hair actually caused two hairs to grow back, then it'd be like, heck, I'll pluck all my hair then and have twice that, as much gray is, hair and whatever. At least I have that hair is, and diet. Oh, yeah, that is the saying. I, thought, I was going to say, people are afraid to pluck their gray hairs because two gray hairs will grow back. It's not because normal hairs are going to grow back in its place. <laughs> No, it just if it's like if one gray hair can be replaced by two gray hairs. I mean, for myself, I don't dye my hair, nor would I ever intend to. So, like, just having hair is 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 enough of a gift, right? <laughs> so, if I could just like, like, all right, well, fine, I'll go completely gray, but I'll have a big, full head of bushy hair for it. Then, yeah, I think that idea of plucking it would be quite quite tempting. You don't think you would ever dye your hair? It's never crossed your mind. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think I'd ever dye my hair. Not to knock it for the men that do i suppose but uh to me women dyeing their hair is one thing because it it doesn't stuck out as odd per se like the the, the look of it but men who dye their hair always look like men with dyed hair really um, i 
Yeah. I, I challenge yeah, this, you like, this. When was the yeah. last time you saw a man over 65 with completely white hair? It's almost never seen in the city anymore. I feel like every dude is is pulling a fast one these days when they hit a certain age. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, I kind of feel like uh, any man over 65 who's, who's full on dyeing his hair it has this weird, weird looking hair that's not quite the right natural color of anybody's hair, first of all. <laughs> uh, and second of all, you have this weird looking old guy face with this uh, like young person's hair. It looks as fake as a toupee. Maybe the reason we're having a different perspective on this is because like Asians generally have black hair mm. uh, and their faces don't seem to age at the normal rate of the rest of the world. <laughs> so maybe it's not as noticeable for Asian men over 65. But uh, for the rest of the world, uh, it just it just go gray, <laughs> distinguished. All right, we we will put a we will put a pin in this. Or we'll put a scissor in this topic and come back to <laughs> it right. ten years from now. But for now, just let it be known that Dr. Harmon has issued the smackdown to all men that That's we should right. we should boycott all the hair dye companies. Yeah, look, man, stop shaving your chest and start stop dyeing your hair. He, he somehow just be men. He somehow skirted the issue and managed to allow women to dye hair, but not men. I, I don't know how he managed to pull that off, but we'll see. <laughs> not telling them that they have to, but it doesn't look as odd. All right, now, but uh, getting back to the just idea then of uh, I guess tying a bow on kids and haircuts. Uh, so I guess what we're saying is. From a practical point of view, both of us uh, do let our kids go to the barber <laughs> for their haircuts. What are we barbarians? <laughs> of course, we, we let them do that, <laughs> and we don't do the don't do the haircuts at home. No. But I I don't uh, I don't look down on anyone who does the home haircuts. I think home haircuts are fine for kids. I think if everybody did home haircuts, then kids would have less expectation for the these newfangled fancy hairstyles <laughs> that these ten year olds expect to have. Now, let us. Once in a while in this show, we need to talk about medicine a little bit, right? Okay. Especially in season five. I think in season one and season two, we were really big on medical topics. We covered the entire pediatric textbook front and back. And, and now it's just like an oddity when we sometimes talk about medicine. But we have two little medical topics today that we want to uh, snip about, all right? And That's the right. first one is this whole business of tongue-tied, which is not something people think about much until you become a parent and then suddenly everyone's talking about it. Um, seems like it's something that everyone has an opinion about and even doctors seem to have a mixed opinion about it. So I'll give you the scenario that commonly comes up. There's, there's probably okay. two. First scenario, you got a newborn baby. They're only a few days old, maybe a week or two old. They're not breastfeeding very well. And someone tells the parent, the issue here is that the tongue is tied and we need to snip that little piece of tissue below the tongue and breastfeeding will proceed smoothly henceforth. Yeah. Dr. Harmon, take us away. What do you think of that? All right. I would say uh, when we actually go to look at what the evidence is around, uh, like a, this is what you call a phrenotomy. Right? That's the fancy name for cutting that little flap of skin under the tongue mm. for the tongue tie. When you're looking at does a phrenotomy actually improve breastfeeding, the actual literature out there is not very robust. Uh, there are studies, but most of them are a very poor methodology, very poor quality. Mm. There was a meta-analysis in 2022, uh, actually, that I had to look at recently for reasons, uh, that did try to look at the evidence and make some kind of a, a conclusion on this. And what they did find was that uh, if, if the measure that you're looking at 
is uh, mothers reporting that the breastfeeding was uh, less painful um, and reporting that the breastfeeding got easier after the tongue tie, then there is some evidence to say that, yeah, using these like scores that they came up with, uh, they actually did find that it was potentially helpful in that context. Mm. Um, but, you know, when you read the whole study and not just the kind of like the headline, you know, they are kind of pointing out at the end that, uh, you know, there's a lot of limitations on the on the literature. And uh, most important, you know, uh, there's not really that much evidence to suggest that tongue tie and not to say that it doesn't help but there's not a lot of evidence to prove that the tongue tie actually uh, if you compare it to other measures that people take to improve breastfeeding uh, that it actually clinically makes that significant a difference even if you do find a difference in this score that it came up with also the the idea that the difference it makes is sustained uh, over time and not just that like yeah the day they came back from this painful thing in their mouth they fed really well because they were crying and upset uh, like more studies need to be done to prove that. But since it seems to be a generally uh, non-invasive, relatively speaking, thing to do, uh, uh, the current literature would sort of advise physicians to, um, to not specifically discourage people from trying that uh, in adjunct with other breastfeeding measures. So that's that very specific situation that you're talking about. Hmm. Uh, the other things that you see it come up within are somebody comes and says, oh, yeah, I was somewhere and, you know, the doctor or the nurse or the dentist or some other person looked in the mouth and said, oh, yeah, there's a tongue tie. We need to release it. Right. Uh, when I hear those stories, it drives me crazy. Uh, if, if you're not having breastfeeding difficulties, then there's absolutely no reason to release a, a tongue tie. Really? Like, uh, like yeah. so this part. I feel like I kind of must have glossed through something in medical training because I did hear people that were training me talk to me about this and like, show, oh, look at that tongue. Like, this is a little too far out. Like, if for a concerned parent looking at their newborn's tongue, what are they supposed to be looking for? Like, how much distance between the, that little flap of tissue and the tip of the tongue is abnormal? Or there's uh, no difference? Parents Parents should not be looking at that at all. Parents should not be looking at that at all. Okay. If you know if the if it's so tight that the tongue can't touch the roof of the mouth, or when they try to extend the tongue past the lips, the tongue curls up. Mm. Uh, that's uh, that's unusual. That's sort of outside the range of what's typical. Okay. But uh, even that, uh, if they're not having any difficulty with feeding with that, then there's nothing to support the idea of just prophylactically snipping those tongue tie repairs. But it used to be different. Uh, people used to believe that it was important to cut these tongue ties because they thought it would affect speech. They thought kids wouldn't speak as properly. Mm -hmm. They thought it would affect uh, feeding. Uh, and they thought it would affect things like kissing later in life. These were actual legitimate concerns that parents had. And so for the longest time, doctors were just like, oh, yeah, we'll, cut the, we'll snip that tongue tie. And because it's fairly easy to do, right? They just take a pair of clippers, they snip it. You know, the kid's in pain. It hurts uh, as much as it would, you know, this is what you'd expect it to. But since the kids can't complain about it and don't remember it, it comes off as being like, oh, it's a simple thing to do. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, you know, they could charge money for doing it. So even when I was in my training as a resident, it was around the time when more and more literature was coming out to say, hey, all these myths that we thought were associated with tongue ties, like there's nothing to suggest that that's true. Uh, so you don't need to do a tongue tie release for those reasons. Now, have but I was still encountering patients who, you know, were working in places with these older school like doctors uh, where nurses were coming up to me 
proud to discover, oh, I got another tongue tie for you to release. Uh, because they just look in the baby's mouth. They see, oh, there's a big frenulum. you got to cut that tongue tie. And up until that time, they were getting praise from the doctors. Oh, thanks for finding that one. Snip. I'll take $50, please. <laughs> so that's why there's sort of this controversy on it now. Because even if it does help with breastfeeding, you got people from my generation who had to unlearn all the useless reasons to do these tongue tie repairs, uh, who now are like, well, you know, what I learned was that they're useless. But now... The swing, pendulum swung the other way, and a lot of the like lactation consultants feel strongly no, but it helps for f- breastfeeding specifically. So now it's like, okay, well then, that's the only indication for doing it. What's the evidence say about that? Okay, interesting, because that was the other scenario I was going to bring up, is this whole business of speech, right? It comes up sometimes in a three-year-old or a four-year-old where they're having difficulty pronouncing words. I've been asked this question by parents, like, could it be the tongue that's causing the problem? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not. But it's good to hear you weigh in and give us the uh, official pediatric answer to that question. Yeah, absolutely. That would be that would be exceedingly rare for it to be because of their tongue tie that they managed to get to speaking age and and it didn't cause any other problems. And I've never ever heard of an adult who had speaking difficulties that anyone was able to attribute to a tongue tie that, that wasn't released. Now I want to see the study of that's randomized control about who is better at kissing as an adult. Is it the tongue tie or the untongue tied people? Where is that data? <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess it depends on what you're looking for out of a kiss. <laughs> like some women would probably say, yes, I think that my partner's tongue should be restrained to some degree for optimal kissing. <laughs> if anything, an additional tie to the tongue should be added. <laughs> others, others might feel differently. All right. So then you could go beyond just kissing. What all the other things one could do with a tongue and how much better they could be if the tongue's unfettered. All right. Well, on that note, we're gonna go, we're gonna move to the last part of our discussion about about scissors, and we're gonna talk about circumcision. <laughs> we're gonna talk about circumcision and cutting off the male foreskin. And this is also a topic that is kind of sounds like we're gonna go down the same road as the tongue tied thing. It, this was the thing that was really popular back in the day, and now there's a bunch of misconceptions about it. People coming in frequently asking. So the scenario is this that I see in the office is patient comes in with a 10 year old, a 14 year old. Usually the mom is bringing the kid in for some reason, dad yeah. decided to take the day off. So mom brings the kid in and it's like, uh, we need to sign up for a circumcision for him. And I'm like, why? Well, dad, dad says every kid has to go do that. Right. I'm like, at what age century? 14 or at age 10 or eight, like it comes up at various but ages. And especially this is crazy <laughs> that at that age, the dad's like, Oh, 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 uh, uh, by the way, <laughs> I just realized a decade <laughs> into this, let's go get a surgical procedure. <laughs> Apparently in Asia, this is a thing, right? My dad told me at some point he decided to go get it done. And I don't think he was 10 when he decided. I think he was probably closer to 20, right? Jeez. That you just go and sign up and get this thing done. And then you take the pain. But back in the day, men thought that this was better for hygiene, that this was like a healthy thing to do, Right. And today we don't think that way. So maybe you can give us the lowdown of what we actually think about circumcision. Okay, yeah. So circumcision is a trickier topic than tongue tie, just from the point of view. Circumcision also has, you know, religious and cultural implications, right? Mm. Which potentially affects the research, right? If research is being done by people who are like highly motivated to find some justification for doing this thing Mm -hmm. that they believe is a religious edict, right? Then uh, it does always like introduce the potential for bias Mm -hmm. but 
I guess it makes sense to start with like, okay, well, why would somebody think that circumcision is necessary? Like, you know, what do we, what do we need it for? Um, so practical reasons that one might say, oh, okay, I think it needs circumcision. One would be yeah, for thinking that you need it for hygiene. But uh, I, I would say that uh, uh, an uncircumcised penis can be maintained hygienically uh, without circumcision. So it's not necessary for, for hygiene. <laughs> Right. Of course, having, uh, you know, you and I would have been from a generation where getting infants circumcised was probably more the norm. I think close to 60, 70 percent of males in Canada were getting circumcised when we were born mm -hmm. around that time, whereas that number is like dropped way off now. So we can't speak to the personal experience of having to deal with smegma, which is the material that builds up between the penis and the foreskin that does need to be cleaned periodically. It doesn't sound very nice, but from what I am told... Uh, like that stuff can be managed and maintained. Like there's lots of other parts of our body that get smelly and dirty that we don't cut off. Like to prevent. You have been issue. waiting five years to say that word online. I think yeah. I for some reason I knew that word was going to come up today. Well, we could hardly talk about circumcision without mentioning <laughs> smegma. <laughs> All right. But at any rate, uh, so from the hygiene point of view. Um, if that was the sole reason to do a circumcision for hygiene, I would say that what evidence we have suggests no, you don't need to you don't need to be circumcised to be able to to maintain the, the clean penis. Although it could be a matter of convenience. Uh, other reasons, you know, would be to prevent problems later. So you see this often with health professionals, uh, nurses, for example. My mother was a nurse, right, or is a nurse. Uh, uh, her thing was that she'd seen people who later actually did need circumcisions later in life. So, for example, there's this com the condition phimosis, where the foreskin just becomes too tight as people get older. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it doesn't respond to topical treatments like steroids, eventually they, the treatment is to do a circumcision. Uh, and so having seen patients who went through that, a circumcision as an adult uh, is a much bigger deal than a circumcision as an infant. Right? Uh, as a newborn, a circumcision is a relatively simple procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas as an adult, you shouldn't be getting circumcised unless they're doing it in an actual operating theater. Right? It's not really meant to be a, a bedside procedure. And, uh, and the same is true for kids. So just as an aside, if anybody for whatever reason thinks that they want to circumcise a, an older kid, somebody who's outside of sort of the first month of age, uh, you really ought not be doing that as a bedside procedure. Certainly, once they're past infancy, this is not something you just go to a family doctor's office or some guy's uh, clinic in his basement and just do it that day and walk <laughs> out of there. Anyhow, so that's one reason somebody might consider like, well, maybe I should have a circumcision for preventing cancer of the foreskin or phimosis, you know, conditions that do exist. But uh, the number of people who are gonna have those conditions is extremely small, right? It's, it's very low percentage of the population. So if you're going to do a circumcision for those reasons, you'd want to be sure that the risks of side effects from the circumcision aren't higher than the risk of having one of these problems down the road. Mm. So I guess that's the other side of that coin is like, okay, well, what, what can go wrong with a circumcision? Well, you can certainly have bleeding afterwards. And I see that people who come to the emergency department because the circumcision just keeps bleeding. Uh, I mean, it's usually something that can be fixed. Uh, there have been rare cases of children who've died after that happened, usually more in the context that the bleeding wasn't recognized, treated appropriately, that type of thing. Um, the circumcision site can get infected, just like any other procedure that you have where you break the skin. You can get an infection at that site. 
Uh, and then like any other procedure, there's always there's the risk of like a, a, an error or a complication when they do it. But when you add up those risks, the risk of that happening, and you add up the, the benefits, the, uh, they are both such rare events that it pretty much balances itself out. <laughs> the risk of having a complication from the circumcision is probably about equal to the risk of having one of these serious problems come later. Uh, additionally, uh, circumcisions have been shown to reduce the risk of transmission of sexually transmitted diseases. So uh, most of this is done in developing countries. But if you are in a place where you're going to be potentially having sexual intercourse with somebody with HIV or herpes, um, then, yeah, you can't prevent it by having a circumcision, but you can slightly reduce your risk of getting it by having a circumcision. However, I would never advise anybody to rely on a circumcision as their primary <laughs> method of prevention of STDs. So, again, not a compelling reason to do it. So, so what's, the bottom the actual line? what's the bottom line when we look at it now? I'm all confused with this data that you're giving us. All right. So consolidating all that together, the, what the Canadian Pediatric Society's advice is, on this has been, has been that, uh, oh, and I didn't, there's one thing I didn't mention on the plus side of doing it, is that uh, urinary tract infections, uh, especially in that first year of life, boys are more at risk for getting urinary tract infections in the first year of life than girls are because of the penis and the foreskin. And actually, being a circumcised male does significantly reduce your risk of getting a urinary tract infection in the first year of your life. Um, although, you know, again, there's a rare event to start with, and it's usually generally treatable. So all that to say, if you add up all the benefits and you add up all the risks, they pretty much even each other out so that the Canadian Pediatric Society's recommendation on this is essentially, uh, it's a personal decision if you're going to do it. <laughs> or if it's a parent, you're going to choose to do it done, as opposed to a medical decision. Mm. There's not a medical necessity, but there isn't, strictly speaking, no potential medical benefits to doing it. So the benefits, the risks kind of balance each other out so that when you're making that decision, it's really about what you as a parent decide you want, not really about what's medically necessary. Okay, so that's a bit more of a, a bit more flex and leeway than the tongue-tied thing, which we're pretty much saying is almost always unnecessary. Well, you know, I'm not, I don't want to raise the ire of uh, lactation consultants except and say for that, that it's one scenario. never necessary. Yeah, except for that one scenario. I would say that most of the time it is not necessary. There are some specific scenarios with difficulty breastfeeding where it may be of benefit. Uh, and what I'll add is that when we consider what percentage of the kids should require a tongue tie to help with breastfeeding, and I compare that to the number of kids I see being told that they need a tongue tie repair to help with the breastfeeding, those numbers don't match. Uh, it's way, way more children are being told they need a tongue tie repair than I would expect from what the literature indicates in terms of the frequency mm -hmm. of which we think that thing would be uh, useful. But they're, they're, for you as a parent, if you're struggling with breastfeeding, uh, then that actually could be a thing to consider. And it's generally a low-risk intervention. So if you've tried everything else and it's not helping and your professional that's seeing you is recommending it, then the medical dads aren't specifically saying that, no, 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 it's a lie. You, you never need it. It may be a benefit. But personally, I'm going to say that I do find that people, uh, on the one hand, are as physicians quick to dismiss it. But on the other hand, uh, in general, sometimes people are a bit quick to push it when, I, mm. when it won't make a difference. Very good. So there we go. There's our summary of the three major scissor scenario that dads encounter. And it seems like in most of these cases, we should really show some restraint and try to put the scissors down when it comes down to these things. Well, but then we didn't really talk about like that aspect of haircuts. 
we just limited it to the haircut discussion and didn't bring it forward to these other two procedures. But the idea of doing your own circumcisions and your own tongue tie releases at home. I mean, if you could do your own haircut, then can you do these other things? You can barely do your own haircut. I really don't think you should be cutting anything else on your child's body <laughs> except fingernails. I think that is one recommendation we could make that is without controversy. <laughs> Cut your own fingernails until your diabetes gets the better of you. <laughs> That's words to live by on a podcast for children. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I mean, it's fun to talk about some of these medical topics once in a while. You know, people might be yeah. like, well, why do we need to know this? But honestly... I'm sure all the dads out there, all the people listening, we all learn something, right? We actually learn something we can take home and impress other people with our knowledge. And isn't that what all this is about at the end of the day? I sure hope so. I had patients that I saw uh, who I'm being consulted on them because there's an abnormality with the penis. The urethra that you, the hole you pee out of is in the wrong place. So they consult me and then I get urology involved. And when we're doing the repair for those things, we use the foreskin, right? Mm. So I go and I see the child and I'm saying, oh, but they've already been circumcised. And the parents saying, yeah, yeah, they did it last night. And I'm saying, oh, what was your, what drove the decision for you? Why, why did you decide to go for a circumcision? And the parents said, oh, we didn't realize we had a choice. The nurse just asked us, what time do we want the circumcision done? <laughs> so hopefully, if nothing else, people listening to this podcast will understand that for all three of these topics, you do have a choice. <laughs> there you go. Well said. And then next week we will come back with something a little mess <laughs> with something a little less medical, I promise. <laughs> something less sharp. Next week we guarantee we'll be a bit more dull. Yes. <laughs> and cut. <laughs> Until then, run with scissors. Have a good week, folks. <laughs> See you week, folks.